your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, November 18th. I'm Terry Arango with my guest, Sarah Clifford Shefflin, who is a practicing speech-language pathologist who specializes in providing therapy to children, including children with autism spectrum disorder and other pervasive developmental disorders. Sarah works in a clinic at a major research university in Los Angeles, California, and also has a private practice. While working with children, Sarah uses a variety of techniques, including video modeling, to teach speech and language, social and other pragmatic and play skills. One of her clients is Evan, Jenny McCarthy's son, who has made significant progress using the techniques incorporated in Teach to Talk products. Teach to Talk, founded by Jenny McCarthy and Sarah Clifford Shefflin, produces educational resources for children which target core speech and language play, and social skills using techniques including video modeling. The Teach to Talk website is www.teachtotalk.com. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Thank you. Sarah, how did you develop an interest in helping children with speech therapy? (laughs) Well, communication I just found is so, so important. We use it every day in our lives, and I wanted to have a career where I was helping people, and I couldn't think of anything better than speech therapy. It's just such a rewarding career to have a child who is unable to communicate, maybe frustrated to being able to talk and request what he wants, make friends. It's it's just very rewarding. Over the last years working with this, um, during your training or in your professional practice, have you noticed any changes in the population of children whom you serve, such as with regard to the diagnoses they come to you with or their degree of affect? Oh, completely, completely. I mean, years ago, speech therapists were kind of known as working on the S's and the R's and the L and the TH's. And before my time, speech therapists, I mean, they didn't even really see children with autism. And, I mean, now it's just autism, autism on the caseload. When I worked in the public school systems, more and more children kept coming through with autism and we were having to open new classrooms and hire extra speech therapists for the schools to try to service all these children. And now I work in an autism program, so of course I'm always seeing autism, but we have to expand in the program. I work with more classrooms. We have waiting lists of years long. And when I consult with other speech pathologists, they are overwhelmed with the amount of children with autism on their caseload and how difficult it is to see all the children. Oh, my gosh, waiting lists of years. That is so sad. I know. It's so really sad because especially with early intervention being so, so important and you get this diagnosis and then you're told you have there's these great programs out there, but you have to wait a couple of years to get in. 
Right, you're right. That's a real cruel irony. Um, it seems like there's a great emphasis on screening now, and of course you want to uh, begin any therapy as early as possible, and then you're faced with this really long waiting list. What kind of sense does that make? Yeah, it's it's really sad. Do you want to share what was the most in, uh, uh, gratifying part of your training and and any insights on how to motivate more people to get into this uh, field for the right reasons, of course, of helping the kids like you? Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly telling students, the university I work, we get volunteers, and I'm telling them, you go into speech pathology, go into speech pathology. One of the hard things is is you have to have an undergraduate degree in speech pathology. If you do not, schooling takes a really long time. So I think it's important just to let students who are thinking about going to college or starting college to find a school that has a speech pathology program to so it'll they won't have to be in school as long but i tell them i mean you could find no matter what you i think it's pretty easy to find a job you'd like because there's such there's such a demand and you could work with children you could work with adults you i mean you could work in clinics schools hospitals private practice and it's it's just such a rewarding career that i think if you have a love for children or helping people that you would be very satisfied in speech pathology. Yeah, it almost seems as if um, students should be made aware of this while they're still in high school. Mm-hmm. I have a, a sister who's in high school, and she's already going to be a speech pathologist, and they had to write a paper, and the teachers were laughing because she knew exactly what she was going to do. She's like, I'm going to be a speech pathologist specializing in children with autism, and the school called them on. They're like, how does she know what she wants to do? But it's... It's 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 just so I think school should be informing the students on what because there's so many people who graduate and they get a degree and there's nothing for them to do and with speech pathology you can pretty much write your own ticket. People are constantly emailing, offering jobs in this field because there's a there's a huge shortage. Right. What a good point and and what a good gift for someone to give to a child to be able to communicate. What do you think should be the top priority when beginning any therapy program? Well, I think, well, first off, you want to have a a comprehensive evaluation. You want uh, an evaluation by a psychologist, a speech-language pathologist, an occupational therapist, just to get a complete picture on what your child's strengths and weaknesses are. And then when looking into a program, I always question programs where they say, you know, this is the only way to do it. You you don't want to go into floor time or you don't want to do ABA or you don't want to do this. I believe in an eclectic approach. I, I think each therapy has um, different things they can add to the table. And so I definitely think you should get started in ABA right away, um, speech therapy right away and um, occupational therapy. But what are the ways that these different um, modalities either intersect or differ? Well, ABA is more adult-directed. Floor time is more child-directed. And with speech pathology, they all incorporate language into their programming. With 
speech therapy, I mean, the therapist has been trained in understanding language development, understanding speech disorders such as apraxia, um, understanding fluency, voice issues. With the more floor time ABA, they've been trained in a different way. They don't have the knowledge of how children develop language. They're not taking language um, development courses and language disorders. And they often, for example, with ABA, they might get a training booklet with programs. And you have to be careful because each, each child is different, so they might one goal that works for one child might not be a good goal for another child. So I think everyone should be consulting together is really important to find out. I, I think it's great if the ABA or floor-time provider can provide some of the um, language therapy because, there's, I mean, with autism, the children have such language needs. But just to make sure that you're consulting and on the same page because, even recently, one of my clients who's three years old, I looked in their um, ABA book and there was a language goal that was way far advanced than he was functioning. So mm -hmm. it was good that I could see that so I could talk to the providers and make sure we're all on the same page. Right. A team approach is so important. And you've alluded to some other uh, issues. And I know that speech-language pathologists address other issues in addition to expressive and receptive language, such as feeding delays and swallowing problems. Why is that? Well, when eating and swallowing, you need control of your tongue, lips, palate, and depending on um, what the child's difficulty is with swallowing or feeding, the speech pathologist may have to strengthen those muscles, or if the child has motor planning difficulties, they're going to have to help with that. So they're all, they're all related. They're all related. Do you find a high comorbidity between feeding delays and speech delays, expressive speech delays? Just curious. Um, I do. I, a lot of um, the kids I work with have both issues. And, I mean, I see because there's some of the sensory reasons why also that the children might have difficulty as well as a lot of the kids that I work with have difficulty with motor planning, so it comes into play with their eating as well. Mm. Um, we hear the term apraxia. You mentioned that. What's the difference between uh, oral apraxia and verbal apraxia? And, in fact, what is it in general? Well, apraxia is a motor speech disorder. So you're having difficulty planning those refined movements with the tongue, the lips, the jaw, and the planning. You you have difficulty executing and sequencing. So with, there's a lot of different terminologies you hear. You hear apraxia, verbal apraxia, motor apraxia, childhood apraxia. They're all the same thing. With oral, oral apraxia is more, you're referring to more non-speech stuff such as blowing or puckering or licking. Mm, okay. And how do you help the child with this? Well, there's a lot of different techniques out there. I mean, with kids with apraxia, I definitely recommend that the child has frequent speech therapy, shorter sessions, um, more times a day. And um, one technique that I have been trained in and I'm um, just turned in my certification project is, is prompt, which has made such a difference with the children that I work with, with apraxia. Um, prompt is restructuring oral muscular phonetic targets. It's basically you're prompting the face and myeloid 
hyoid muscles to help elicit speech. Mm-hmm. And you're working through a hierarchy, looking at phonation and tone and jaw control and labial facial movements, lingual movements, sequence movements, and prosody. And the other great thing with prompt, they, they stress the all areas of communication. They don't just look at the speech part, but you have to take into account the, the cognitive linguistic and the social emotional and the physical sensory. But I've had the most success utilizing this technique with with my kiddos with prompt. You can, they only train speech pathologists in this technique, but once I learned this, it's made such a difference with the kids. Can parents help um, within this process? I know when we had an at-home uh, ABA program for my son, I would use oral motor cards. I think I got them from Super Duper Publications. I don't quite remember, but mm-hmm. um, to help him uh, make the different sounds, uh, help him purse his lips, things like that. Yeah, there's. I mean, with oral motor, there's no. There's a little bit of controversial. There, the research doesn't actually show the oral motor exercises help with apraxia, but there's been people who say it really does help. Um, there's definitely things parents can do, and I think that they should obviously consult with the speech therapist on the team. But working, I I give parents a lot of. Well, I give them a lot of different. Picture cards like the Kaufman picture cards are nice because they can they break the words down working on like consonant and consonant vowel and vowel consonant vowel words and consonant vowel consonant so it keeps getting more difficult so um, you can find out which where your child is and work on those cards they're nice because they're just broken down for you um, with prompt I give parents um, I teach them about some of the prompting more of the higher um, levels more of like parameter prompting which parents are allowed to do within that system so they can practice. And and then a lot of times we will do like oral motor imitation, so practicing like opening your mouth and puckering your lips and smiling. It depends where the child is exactly, but I definitely think they need to carry over at home and practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like the cards we were using. They had pictures of giraffes and mm-hmm. hippopotamus and talking about different movements or roaring like a lion, things like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. What was the name, exact name of the cards you were talking about using? Um, Kaufman. Oh, Kaufman. Okay, very good. Oh, and we will talk more about this when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and we will be right back with Sarah Clifford-Shefflin. Thanks. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. 
Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virostop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymedica.com. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Sarah Clifford Shefflin and we're talking about speech therapy. And, Sarah, we received this question from a listener. Mm-hmm. Do you know children who've had apraxia, autism, and sensory integration issues who were able to speak? Of course. Um, I mean, as my business partner, Jenny McCarthy, says, it's important to always keep the hope. But I've, I'm, I've had a lot of – I've seen many, many children who've been able to speak with this diagnosis and come very far to the level of having – you know, conversations. Okay, and what do you think was the best thing, the best strategy that you used with them, if if you can single out one? or With the, definitely that prompt technique I was talking about. Okay. This one little boy, for example, he went through all kinds of speech therapy and nothing was successful, and that technique just made the biggest difference. He went to his doctor, and they're like, what happened? What what?" happened to this child, and, and he really responded well to that. Oh, that's fantastic, Sarah. Is that something that um, any speech therapist might offer, or should parents look for uh, something in particular on their credentials? Well, you could go to the it's a website, promptinstitute.com, and you can type in your zip code. They ask you for five, and they'll tell you speech therapists in your area who've taken the classes, and there's a different level of classes that you could take. There's the introduction to prompt where you learn the technique, and then there's um, a bridging where you become even more better with the technique of prompt, and then you become certified. But even if they've had the first class, they at least have gone through the training and know the technique so, and if your speech therapist ha- hasn't had the class, then I would mention it to them because maybe they never heard of it. And, I mean, that's how I learned about it. There was another speech therapist doing it, and I'm like, what is that? And so I went and took the class, and I loved it because it was making such a difference with my clients. Oh, that's so cool. All mm-hmm. right. Um, if a child is inattentive, mm-hmm. how how much success can you have with them? Are you still able to help them along if they're having some problems with attention? Yeah, I mean, you have to sometimes take a step back and work on 
getting their attention, whether, depending on, I mean, finding what they respond to, how to keep them engaged. Um, in the program I work, we, I work with a multidisciplinary team, so we're kind of working on that together so it happens faster. But you definitely, I mean, without attention, it's difficult to learn, so you want to get in and find how, how you can grab their attention. Now, talking again about the mechanics of speech therapy, why do some children have trouble with pitch and volume, and how do you help them with that? That, I mean, with the pitch and volume, it's often part of an autism diagnosis. I'm not sure why many children with autism, they have difficulty identifying and expressing emotion, and so I think that comes into play. If you think about when we're using when we're talking, whether we're excited, we start talking faster or happy, um, our pitch and volume and intonation change, or if you're mad. So if you are a child with autism, you don't understand some of those different emotions, you might sound, you know, more flat and not able to vary your voice. Also, sometimes they say children, if they've had too much ABA that wasn't executed properly, they might sound a little bit more robotic. Um, sometimes sometimes children are just literal. They want to get the message out, and they don't understand the importance of expression. And so how you work on that, I mean, there, it's depending on the kid and the approach you're using, but I mean, some kind of basic things that, I can say that could be helpful is if you're, for example, working on emotions and talking, teaching the child what each emotion sounds like and then, and then practicing that in their speech. Um, I, for the volume, I make voice charts so the children learns, the, the child will learn how to use a soft voice and when they're using an appropriate voice and there's that visual so they can see if they're using the appropriate volume. Um, I, I'll do a lot of exercises where they have to imitate me with using um, lots of inflection, and then um, I'll then I will have them say a sentence, and they'll have to show it. They'll have to say it in two different ways, and they could we could talk about how the meaning changed with how the child said it. Hmm. You're making me kind of think of pictures where you have a picture of a schoolyard and some sort of a symbol for loud and. Mm-hmm. Library and some some sort of a symbol for soft. Is that a kind of technique when you say voice chart? Or? Yeah, or or sometimes I'll have like kind of like a thermometer where they could see like it going up when they're loud and it going down when they're talking soft and right in the middle. Hmm. So, okay, you mentioned prosody. I think that maybe some of our listeners don't know what that is. Um, Prosody is where you're thinking about the stress in the word, um, the intonation and the rhythm. Okay. Does that play into how children use language in a social situation? Can you tell us about pragmatics and social skills too? Oh, I mean, definitely prosody comes into play. I see many of our children who have difficulty with prosody, children often look at them funny um, because, you know, they're not sounding like the other kids. And pragmatics and social skills are, I mean, so important. They're, that comes into play. I mean, it's all about initiating, commenting, topic maintenance, asking questions, understanding social body boundaries, 
all those nonverbal cues, emotions, and empathy, and social problem, turn-taking. So it's using your communication now for social reasons. There's some kids who have a lot of language, but then when they get with other kids, they're not using it socially. Right. I I tell my uh, stepson a lot that one of the most important things about speaking is that um, other people understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways that you've helped kids with their social skills? Um, Well, I usually start them an individual therapy, training them on how to ask a question, how to answer a question. Sometimes therapists want to start really high and they'll be like, they'll write, I'll see goals that say, we'll have a back and forth exchange um, for three to four turns when the client can't actually answer a question. They don't know how to ask a question. So sometimes you have to back back up and teach them how to do those things. And But then I'll train them in our individual sessions and I'll bring in other peers and we'll work on those skills we practiced in groups. And I also run social skills groups where um, we work on all these things with peers. Wow. There's so much to do. Yeah, I'm sure it's so overwhelming for families. Have you, you know, the kids often take things so literally. Have you helped any children who took things very literally to be able to understand things in a different way? Um, Well, yeah, (laughs) many of our um, children are literal. And I think, uh, which I'm going to talk about later, is, is play. But one thing with play is when children like to, start to understand symbolic play, for example, like understanding that something stands for another thing, that helps them with some of not thinking so literally all the time. Um, I work on humor, teaching jokes with um, my clients, even teaching about lying and figurative language to help with that. All right. And do you notice any difference in the success that children have with speech therapy um, based upon their age when they come to you first? Based upon their age? Yeah. I mean, the earlier, definitely, the the better I have seen. Um, when when children start off young, they I've seen faster faster progress. Okay, is that because of, do you think, something to do with... Um, brain development, or do you think it's because there are just so many different steps that need to be built upon? Um, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, the earlier you could get the child in there, they're not, they don't have some of um, the different maybe habits they've done if it's a verbal child, um, so it's easier to break those before they, they start. And then also the brain is developing more when you're younger, so you can really get in there and change how they're thinking. And also also musculature Mm -hmm. in the face. Um, Do you also notice any differences in the success that children have with speech therapy if they do or do not also use some sort of special diet or biomed treatments, or do parents even tell you about this? Um, I mean, some parents do, some parents don't. My, My partner, Jenny, has had a lot of success with using the the diet and the biomedical treatments, um, what she found and that I see is that the child is able to absorb and learn what they're taught in therapy if they're um, 
if they're on a diet, um, they their attention's often better. I've seen kids with less self-stimulatory behaviors that appear to be, I mean, because of the diet. I mean, think about if we eat a ton of sugar and then you're trying to learn. It's it's difficult to focus. Or your gut is in pain. Yeah, I say yeah. this over and over again. You know, I could get about half an hour of cooperation using those uh, and I'll do this generically, those little round chocolate candies with a pretty colorful outside coating. Mm-hmm. Oh, about half an hour of cooperation, and then we're we're all swinging from the chandelier. Oh, completely. Yeah. <laughs> I was in, with a kid the other day, and his mom um, brought him in some candy, and I was just like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let her get away with this because I was curious to see what was going to happen. He was focusing, doing great. I mean, all of a sudden, he wasn't, taking in what I was saying, and I just seen a complete change in his behavior. Absolutely. A really good point, Sarah. All right. We'll be right back with Sarah Clifford-Shefflin, and thank you to our sponsor, Enthmetica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're speaking with Sarah Clifford-Shefflin. And uh, before the break, Sarah made a great point about how diet can have an influence on a child's behavior during a speech therapy or other therapy session. And 
Sarah, um, when do you think is the right time, if any time, to introduce augmentative communication devices? And that's a great question. I get that question quite a bit. And, I mean, the way I usually, as a speech therapist, what I look at is if the child's receptive language, their understanding, um, is greater than their expressive language, I want to give them some sort of augmentative communication, be it pictures, um, choice boards, picture exchange, communication system, a more sophisticated device just to help with their frustration throughout the day. But I'll continue to work on their language at the same time. So I won't just say, okay, here's a communication system, but it's something just to help them because it might help their behaviors or because they might be really frustrated, so it gives them another way. But even if I'm using a device or text, the child also has to use the language at the same time. And usually in my session, I'm not focusing on that so much, but it's something at home, the parents, when they're um, so frustrated, they don't know what their child wants, or the child's frustrated, it gives mm-hmm. them a way to communicate with their child. Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, do you feel, this is something I heard, and I'm wondering if it's true or not, Does it, do you feel a child has to be proficient or have a certain level of proficiency in text before they can use something like, say, um, a light writer or things, a board? Um, not necessarily. Sometimes I start a child off with text first because I like the initiation part in text. It's forcing them to go up to another person, and with a device you could easily be pushing a button or doing your own thing and not realizing the importance of telling a person. So I like the child to have that understanding first before mm-hmm. I put them on a more sophisticated device. Okay, but I, I really like your sentiment about reducing the child's level of frustration. Mm-hmm. That's such a nice thing to do for them. Yeah. I understand that you use video modeling. What mm-hmm. is that and why do you use it? Well, video modeling is it's a technique where you're using an audiovisual model of a behavior or skill um, and you show that to the child. Imitation is how children learn, so watching and imitating a video model can be used to teach. Um, they it's the, the interesting thing is that ch- the children aren't actually just parroting what they're seeing, but they're actually learning it and generalizing it to different environments. And there's been a lot of lot of research on the effectiveness of video modeling um, with children on the spectrum and even other children who aren't on the spectrum to help teach some of the speech and language, social skills, self-management, daily skills, play. And a lot of people say, well, why, why, Sarah, why are they going to learn from this video? Why can't I just show them? And I think that's when the attention comes into play. Hmm. Um, I mean, if you don't have attention, you're not learning. And sometimes children with autism might have different self-stimulatory behaviors. They might be looking at, for example, edges in a room or blinking lights. And when they see that, computer or video, they they tune in because they're interested. Um, Also, many children with autism are strong visual learners, so um, they learn that way. Think of like Temple Grandin, who wrote a book about thinking in pictures. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. 
Let's talk about the Teach to Talk series. You have the Social Skills series, the WH Question series, Noun series, Verb series, and the Teach to Play series of videos. Which is the first set or sets that you generally recommend? Um, well, one thing that we really stress at Teach to Talk is selecting titles based on the child's current developmental level. Sometimes the parents will say, my child is six years old, so where should I start? but you have to think about where they are um, developmentally. Um, so, for example, a child who is nonverbal, we usually start them with our noun series because that nouns are the first articles of speech um, children typically acquire. And then we might start them also with one of the play series depending on their, their level of play. Um, if the child's having difficulty with... Um, not knowing how to answer a question. Many of our children have I have difficulty with the WH questions. I constantly, almost every client I get has difficulty whether they're echolalic and they repeat what you say or they confuse the WH terms. For example, you might say to a child, who puts out fires? And they might say, water, because they don't understand who means a person. Mm-hmm. So we'll recommend our um, WH question series. We have the social skills, um, conversations with friends. I really like it's teaching children how to initiate and how to stay on topic with with a peer. And we have the conversations often modeled twice so the children learn there's different ways they can respond so it's not just a scripted conversation. And we also added recently pronouns where... A, because I was I was getting a lot of um, parents asking me to do this because so many kids when I see them have difficulty with like the he and the she and the I versus you and me and my um, so we have a pronouns series and prepositions as well working on under and back and front of next to so it's we have a lot of videos depending on the skill that the child has wow okay so you added pronouns and prepositions I mm-hmm. Uh, I remember in our home program, uh, prepositions were really hard um, before GFCF diet, um, so I'm about to say something that I'm going to be embarrassed about, but I couldn't offer any amount of honey buns that would get those prepositions going. <laughs> so they, they were really tough. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any particular reason for that? I I, I just think they're a little bit more, I, I, I'm not really sure why, but it's, it's most of my kids have difficulty with that and the pronouns, um, but it's hard to say why for sure. Okay, so you mentioned that um, if there's a nonverbal child, you like to start with the noun series, mm-hmm. and um, then you mentioned uh, the play series that's teach to play. Yes, teach to play. Can you tell us about the levels in teach to play? Yes, I mean teach to play. Is, is, is I really love this program because so many of our children who um, are on the spectrum, they don't know how to play appropriately with toys. It's funny because when I ask parents if the child can play, they tell me yes. But when I really dig deep if the child can play, it's often the child, when they're left to their own, they're often wandering around. They might be playing with numbers or letters or putting their car around the track over and over and over again, but they're not understanding, oh, I could put gas in my car or I can put, 
I can fix the tire, I can feed my baby. Um, and the other thing is parents and therapists often start at a level that's way too high. They're having a child make the doll talk, and it takes about 13 steps to actually have the child talk. So what we do in Teach to Play is we really break it down um, with how children develop play skills into our, into our play ladder, and it starts off very basic in the in the first volume of our Teach to Play series. It's basic play, and there's four steps in the play ladder, which starts off with, and the first step is any toys you start to take apart and you put back together, like a puzzle, a ring stack, nesting cups, shape sorters. And then it progresses in the second step. They learn about general combinations, which is anything where you put in or put on, so putting a ball in a bucket, the child's just starting to learn to think more create, creatively. And then in, in the next step, the child learns how to extend items to themselves, which we call pretend to eat. So they might be pretending to eat an apple or pretending to put a hat on or pretending to put a stethoscope on. And then um, as they move into the Volume 2 core play, this is where the child now starting to learn, oh, now instead of me pretending to eat, I could feed my dinosaur. Mm. I can put gas in the train. And it, pro- it progresses into um, they learn about how things go together, which is so important because if you're playing house and you want to set up your dollhouse, how do I do that? Well, I need to put the, the bathtub and the sink in the bathroom and the living room, the TV goes in the living room and the couch goes in the living room. And then as it progresses in Volume 3, intermediate play, they start learning about substitutions. And this is when you first start more learning about symbolic play, like um, which helps with some of that literal thinking we were talking about earlier, pretending a block is a ladder or pretending um, a, a, a Lego is a seesaw. So it starts to teach the child to create, think more out of the box, and it helps them if they have toys and they want something specific, they can pretend. And um, you start learning about pretending an object's there when it's not. So you have a pretend apple, but you're not actually holding one. And it's that till you get to advanced play when the toys actually start taking on actions themselves and become people, and they could start talking and having conversations and going on adventures. But as you see, as you progress through, when you get to the last step, you're using all those steps you learned early on um, and so now the child's able to come up with their own novel ideas. For example, if they're playing house and they need, um, they're setting up the tea party, and then they want to ha- they want to have different food items. They could pretend all kinds of objects stand for something else, and it's just interesting to watch how all the steps build together. Oh, good. I was really curious um, if you had seen children who actually then initiated. Uh, pretend play with other objects other than what they had seen on the videos or in the, the teaching that you had done directly with them in your practice. Do they just they, do they pick up the skill of imagination? And... Yeah, I mean, I did some, I did a research study and it was really fascinating. But the thing that I did, well, I didn't move them to the next step until they were generalizing. So I'd have them watch the video. I would put similar toys out, and then during their free time. We would have toys out, and when I would see the child was generalizing those toys, we'd move them on to the next step. But um, 
I mean, it, it makes such a difference with their ability to interact with other kids. Um, so many times parents come to me and they're like, I want my kid to, you know, play with other kids, but they don't understand the importance of toy play. They're thinking, I want them to have a conversation. But, um, for example, Jenny's son, Evan, now that he plays appropriately, kids come over, he's like, come on, guys, let's play. You want to play dinosaurs? And he could go on and on because and come up with his own ideas because he understands all the steps in play. So he's coming up with all these ideas and playing with kids um, for hours and hours. That's really so important. And then when the kids see that he's playing and he understands how to do it, like they reinforce him because they're coming over and making overtures. Yes. Okay. We'll be right back with Sarah Clifford Shefflin. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Jack Lane.com presents Jack Lane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine Lane and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris Lane, to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness roadblocks. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how. Three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack Lane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Sarah Clifford Shefflin, and we were talking about the Teach to Play series. Sarah had a really great point um, about how when a child, uh, in this case, Evan Jenny McCarthy's son, is able to understand play, then other kids will come over and play with them, and that will be a really reinforcing factor. Mm-hmm. And another last thing on, the, on play that I see when therapists, when I open up a lot of the ABA books, there's all these memorized scripts that children will learn, and that... It's fine if another child's going to go with exactly what your child's doing, but it shows, again, how each of those steps are important. So if, for example, the child has this memorized train conductor scene and then the other child's like, oh, let's go to the movies, if that's not part of the script, our kids are just going to sit there blank. But if they understand the play steps, they could be like, okay, 
and here, here's some popcorn, and pretend to give the other toy popcorn because they understand, like, oh, I could pretend something's there when it's not. So I think hopefully that helps you understand how each of the steps are so important. Yeah, it certainly does, um, which makes me think, I think you mentioned movies, how do you feel about uh, children scripting for movies? Um, it's... It's, I guess it's when it's done appropriately. If a child just comes up and says something out of context, um, then it's not appropriate to script for movies. There's times that we all do um, when we, you know, all righty then, we might say, and it's appropriate, but it's when um, a child says something that's not appropriate, then, um, then it's a problem. What I teach a lot of my kids, if they do that, I kind of teach them, to say, like, tell me, like, I want to hear, like, oh, I like this part in the movie where they said this. And it was so cute the other day. One of my clients went up to us, and he looked at us, and he's like, you could see in his face he was about to do something from a movie. And then he said, hey, guys, have you seen this movie? Wally, I liked it when the sandstorm came and knocked them down. So then it was appropriate. He was, you know, wanting to share something with you. and. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, it's, it's just, I do find it to be a problem when the kid just sits and says, I, I mean, you get that all the time, and they're just saying a line they hear from a movie, and it doesn't make any sense to what's happening. Anything that a parent might do to be helpful in that regard? Um, well, the one strategy that I just mentioned about having them mm-hmm. that say about the, tell me I like this part. I mean, I do the whole just prompting. We're not doing TV talk. You have to use your own your own words. Not watching the same movie over and over again, um, I find to be a I notice with kids, if they keep watching the same one, mm-hmm. they really start to do increased TV talk. Okay. I want to just let listeners know um, the link for your website again before we move on, and that's www.teach2talk.com, and that's the numeral 2, T-E-A-C-H, numeral 2, T-A-L-K.com. Sarah, tell us about some of the success stories of children whom you've helped. Are you meeting with Teach to Talk or just in general? Anything you like. Okay. Um, well, with the with the Teach to Talk product, it's been exciting to get emails from parents all around the world telling us, like, wow, my kid played for the first time or my kid's now answering questions. And so that's really neat to be able to help people who I don't have direct contact with. And then children just in my practice. I mean, it's amazing what these kids can can do. They're, um, I mean, I have hundreds of success stories of, I mean, children coming in, being in their own world and, you know, now being able to have full conversations with you and are in typical schools and playing with their friends. Um, and it goes on all different levels for all different kids of, um the type of progress. I mean, all progress is always exciting. Um, even having a child who's completely nonverbal and being able to tell you what he wants is a success story um, to me. But <clears throat> kids with apraxia, it's been really exciting to watch for those type of children who couldn't would be so frustrated because they couldn't get out what they wanted to say or no one could understand them to being able to be... 100% intelligible and unknown contacts like that's just so exciting. Do you 
get to watch the children be real excited? Can you see it in their faces? Oh, it's so, I, I love when I see that. It's just like, I've seen so many kids, they just light up like, I get it. I get it now, and it's so it's it's um, it's so wonderful. Well, you mentioned um, adding pronouns and prepositions to your series of um, Teach to Talk, and what else do you hope to do to build upon this in the future? Well, we have three new videos coming out soon. They're in editing now. We have an emotions video, and also teaching empathy which I'm really excited about. Wow, yeah. So understanding, like, you know, I feel sad because the other boy is, is sad because that's a hard a hard concept to teach empathy. Um, and we also have some more WH questions coming out soon. We have a who questions and a what questions that are almost ready. And then we just want to continue to expand on our product offerings. We I love getting emails um, on our website. There's an Ask Sarah and parents are constantly emailing me like, I need a video for this. The only one thing that's hard is sometimes parents will say, you know, I want a video to teach my kid not to hit. And one thing that research does show with video modeling is negative behaviors are, are hard to show on a video. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't uh, if you see, like sometimes I've noticed in books, there's some books out there where they'll show what the kid did wrong. A lot of our kids, I notice, will pick up on that and imitate that. And so with video modeling, too, I try to really keep them do, teaching it, doing the right thing mm-hmm. and not showing the wrong thing. So I always have to keep that in mind because I don't want the child to then, since they're learning from the video, to imitating the wrong thing. And then I also just want to continue I'm looking at adding other products to help um, different social skill games and materials and expanding on that. And we also are going to have some new Teach to Play videos coming out soon. We've been traveling around the country um, a lot lately, I think. Um, What are your impressions from traveling around the country and meeting so many families? I mean, it's funny. We were, Jenny and I were just saying, like, even from last year to this year, we've seen a change in parents' Last year, I felt like we, we had, there was parents crying and crying coming up to us. And this year, there was this change, like, these moms are coming up, like, ready to fight, like, and realizing there's hope out there and just, like, wanting to learn and wanting to um, educate themselves on what's out there. And so that's been really neat to see the change in parents from a year ago watching a lot of parents going to Jenny and crying and feeling hopeless to them coming up like, I did it. My kid's doing this. I started this diet and I'm in these therapies. And that, so that's been really, really cool to see. Um, but I'm, I'm just hoping that with, I feel like there's just getting more and more resource, resources out there. There's just, there's just more and more hope for these kids. Yeah, I think that hope is one of the very best interventions Mm -hmm. and kind of get distressed when I hear people use the term false hope. Uh What about you? Uh, Yeah, I definitely do. Like that's what's false hope going, that's not going to get you anywhere. I mean, I really believe in thinking positive and just, you know, wanting the best and just thinking of what you do want and not what you don't want. And if you don't have hope, I mean, you're just going to, that's not good for you or your child. Right. Some people say it's good to, you know, imagine your child in your mind's eye as, as already there. Of course, we 
um, you know, love our children and their beautiful personalities the way they are right now. But any parent wants, whether you have a child who's considered neurotypical or not, you want to make that child the best that they can be. So, mm-hmm. and I've heard that actually imagining that they're already there to that best that they can be is, is very helpful. Yes. You know, thinking about um, what the future in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. Sarah, do you have any um, closing remarks about anything we haven't covered? Um, well, if you want to email me with any questions, you could you can reach me. If you go to my website at teachtotalk.com, there's a Ask Sarah, and um, I check my email daily, and I will get back to you as soon as I can if you have some follow-up questions. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. And again, to our listeners, uh, that website is www.teachtotalk.com. Sarah, thank you for bringing our listeners these really helpful insights and interesting information and these videos to move their children forward on the road to recovery. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. Next week, November 25th, my guest will be Dr. Stuart Friedenfeld when we'll be talking about treatments, toxins, and the environment. For questions about this program, please email me at tiaranga at autismone.org. And thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.